0: welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. I'm Tony Clark, your host. And once again, I've got the privilege of having John Burke on the program. Now, John is a near-death experience expert, an NDE expert, and a New York Times bestselling author. He's also the author of Imagine Heaven, No Perfect People Allowed, Soul Revolution, Unshockable Love, and his latest book, Imagine the God of Heaven. John is also founder, along with his wife, Kathy of Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. He's also the president of Gateway Leadership Initiative. John's new book, Imagine the God of Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God's Revelation, and the Love You've Always Wanted, suggests that thousands of near-death experiences worldwide provide thrilling illustrations of the God revealed in Scripture. And if you want to find out more information about John or about his books, you can go to Imagine Heaven. Dot net again imagineheaven.net. But John, thank you so much for coming back on the program.
1: Oh it's great to be back, Tony. I'm excited. Well I
0: wanted to have you back. I know that you've got this new book coming out and I, I can't wait to discuss it. Uh your first book or the the first book that I read, Imagine Heaven, uh, really blew me away. And other other folks that have read it have really been inspired, really been encouraged in their faith because of of this book. But I want to discuss this new book, Imagine the God of Heaven. And in our last interview, we talked about really the spark plug, I guess, that that um, got you interested in near death experiences with the 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 situation with your dad many years ago. Yeah. But I want I want to discuss um, what differentiates between Imagine Heaven Versus Imagine the God of Heaven. Can you kind of break it down for me? Why did you want to write this book? And what does it cover that the last book did not?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Tony, because um, uh, when I wrote Imagine Heaven, I had been studying uh, these near death experiences, and I've studied over a thousand of them, well over a thousand now, for about 30 plus years. And I found some. Some keys. And I started to see that uh, how the scriptures and how what these people were describing and the commonalities and, and how they fit together. And so that's why I wrote Imagine Heaven. But I'll tell you what was interesting in all my interviews with people who've had near-death experiences. You know, they they talk, as we talked about in the last program, they talk about the beauty they experience and the, you know, the the spiritual body that's God, uh, abilities far beyond anything we've ever imagined, you know, <laughs> more senses than we can, you know, that we, ha- that we have here, the, the beauty of the mountains and the trees and the, uh, you know, in God's world, the relational reunions. But what they consistently would say to me is that nothing, and I mean, nothing could compare to being in the presence of God. For those who were actually in His presence You know, they just said all of that, all of that fades away. And I wanted to, what I wanted to do in this book is show that the God that these people are encountering all over the world may not necessarily be the God they expected, or maybe they didn't expect God at all. And yet who they are experiencing is the God who revealed himself throughout history as recorded through the Jewish prophets, as foretold, uh, and is coming through Jesus. It's it's the God of the Bible. And that's what I'm trying to show in in the first part. But then the rest of the book, you know, so I I think for skeptics like I was, um, I think it will convince them like, like nothing has ever convinced them. I would say if you have an open mind, you're going to be convinced. If you have a closed mind, you know, you won't, nothing will. But but I also am trying to show the love story of God that's that's told throughout the scriptures, and how these people I've got like seventy near death experiencers in the book, and so I'm showing through their eyes, you know, God loves us. Okay, yeah, maybe we all know that, but when you hear what that love is like, it blows your mind. It's it's not like that word doesn't even come close. To what these people are explaining and, um, and so I 'm showing the love story of God because if you if you think about the scripture, the Bible starts with relationship. we were created for this God who says he is love, but then throughout the arc of the Bible there's every facet of relationship there's there's our betrayal there's broken promises, there's trying to win back there's divorce. Uh, the whole thing ends in Revelation with a great wedding between God and people. So, if you miss this meta narrative of God's story, you you don't understand why God does the things He does. Like why you remain so hidden, why He doesn't just tell us what to do, why did He doesn't force us to be better. Um, all those things start to make sense. And then in the book, I'm also showing the the characteristics and the heart of God that are talked about in the scripture, but again, illustrated through the eyes of these people who've been in his presence. And then also how to walk today, you know, doing life with this, this God of joy. Uh, and and the last section is really showing um, how to do that, but also just the surprising characteristics of, of God. You know, Tony, I, I think whether we intend to or not, we put God in a box. We all do. He is God, and and this is what I'm trying to show. God is far more personal, far more relatable, um, gets you far more than you've ever imagined, but he's also far more powerful, glorious, in control than than you've ever imagined. And so as you see, not only that that's what he's been saying throughout history, but you hear it through the eyes of these people and what they experienced, I think I think people will fall in love with God to a whole new degree because they'll realize nobody gets me more. Nobody knows me better. Nobody loves me more.
0: And I certainly want to dig into that, that that God wants more for us than we can even imagine. And that's certainly part of your new book. But you talk about commonalities um, across thousands of near death experience. There's something in common between all of these and it doesn't matter what country you're from, what uh, culture that you're from there. There's some commonalities across all of these interviews that you did. Can you talk about that? uh, The things in common of these NDEs?
1: Yeah. So in, um, you know, in imagine heaven, I, I, I went into a lot of the commonalities of the description of the life to come and how that fit with, with the Bible in, in, um, and imagine the God of heaven. I go into global evidence for the God of all nations. And Tony, it's, it's amazing because the Lord brought stories to me of people from all over the world who when they clinically died, um, they experienced the same captivating God. So I'll, I'll give you a few just snapshots. Um, Santosh Akarchi uh, is a manufacturing engineer. That's the other thing that's common is, again, these people are, they're, they're engineers, they're, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're, and, and from all over the world, they, they have no reason to make up these stories, and especially when it doesn't even fit with their religious, cultural views. So Santosh is Hindu, he's a manufacturing engineer, traveled the world, he had his pancreas basically erupt, and he coded and he hears the nurse say, code blue, code blue, like in Imagine Heaven. He leaves his body, he sees them working on him. And then he says, this brilliant light comes to me. And he said, I knew it was a divine light. And, and he had thought when you die, it's just nothing. But this brilliant light comes and he says, I, I knew that this light um, had all authority and I had to obey it. But I instantly fell in love with it because I knew it cared for me. And he starts to follow this light and similarly through tunnels and he's going through journey, journeying somewhere, but he comes to a place that he describes as a giant compound. If you've ever been to India, which I, which I have, there are lots of these big compounds, walled communities, but you know, similarly to uh, the commonalities of, in Imagine Heaven, you know, Santosh said, I, I could see my, my vision was like telescopic, so I could see like thousands of miles. And this is like thousands of miles in a square, these high walls, gorgeous walls, and inside gorgeous, beautiful grounds and mansions and these buildings of otherworldly material. And I could see 12 gates. And he said... All the gates were closed to me, but I saw 12 gates, and then I noticed angels outside the gates standing guard, and I realized I'm looking at the kingdom of heaven. Now, he is describing exactly what John described in Revelation 21, but he's never read the Bible. He doesn't know what he's describing. So he's describing it as a giant compound. It's the heavenly city of God, and this brilliant light is now inside that city giving light to everything. He's looking, and he's trying to figure out, where am I? And, and I won't tell the whole story, but basically, he, he's up on a high platform, kind of looking, seeing this vision. And then he looks down to his left, and he describes this outer abyss of darkness that he would fall into. And he's like, not that. And he turns, and he, and he sees it. He's on this giant platform, and there he sees what he calls the Almighty. And he describes, he said, I knew this was God. And later he believes that this was the, the risen Jesus appearing. Because he said he was a man, but like, like John described in, in Revelation 1, and he was huge. And he said he had a robe and a, and a beard. Uh, but when he looked into his eyes, it was like lightning. And his life flashes before him. So again, another commonality we had talked about of the life review. But he, you know, he sees his life and he sees all, all his good and all his sins too. And he falls down saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Because he realizes um, you know, that I've done a lot of wrong and that's what I deserve. And then the Lord speaks to him with compassion. And he's surprised because he said the, the Lord's voice was so tender and merciful and compassionate. And I didn't know why. And he says, Santosh, I'm sending you back. And when you go back, you must love your family and especially your daughter. She needs your help right now. Which, you know, Tony, think about this. And and, and I write about this, that even when we are not near to God, God is still near to us. He created us. He knows us. He knows our families. He knows what's going on. And he wants us to let him in so that he can lead us and guide us with his love. And so Santosh then sees on the side of this, what he described this giant throne where the almighty was sitting. He said, there was a narrow gate that was open to me. So these 12 gates were not open, but this narrow gate is open and he can see into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, Lord, when I come back, how do I go through that narrow gate? Because he said, going into this place was like what it was the longing of of his heart. And and the Lord says to him, I want honest. well, first of all, he said, the wages of sin is death. He said, But I want honest relationship, not one day a week, 365 days, 24-7. How honest will you be with me? And then he said, Walk with me. And then he said, Walk, surrender daily to me. And he says these things, and then Santosh goes back and he's very confused because he said you know this this god was not like the the gods that I that I knew of and he kept praying god he kept seeking and praying god who who are you how do i follow you 2 years later his daughter is invited to sing in a choir at a church because she was a choral major santosh and his wife go to hear the moment he walks in he ex- he experiences that same love that he experienced in god's presence and the message is on the narrow the narrow gate and how Jesus is the, the gate leading in and out to the kingdom of God and he starts reading the Bible and realizes who I saw and what I saw is right there in the Bible and he, and he comes to faith in Jesus. Now I have stories just like that of Bibi who was in Tehran um, related to the prophet Muhammad uh, when she dies, she is expected, expecting judgment from the prophet Ali, but instead she sees almost the same figure that Santosh described coming, and he says, I am he who is. <laughs> if you recall, that's what God said to Moses, right? That's what that's what Jesus said before Abraham was born, I am. And he's using the same words ego e me from what Moses said. And, and I have multiple stories where God shows up and he says the same thing. I am he who is. I'm the self-existent one. And she comes back in any way, long story short, but he, she also discovers that this I am revealed himself in Jesus. Swadik uh, is another one in the book. He was a, a Muslim imam in Rwanda. His father was a Hutu, his mother was a Tutsi, and during the Rwandan genocide, um, his, his family was broken apart. He ended up being a street kid at age nine, having to do drugs and sell and deal drugs, and he ends up having a mental break. Um, his, mother, uh, his, his mother and father do all this witchcraft kind of stuff, and the Muslim putting the Quran on the head, they took him to the psychiatric hospital, nothing would help. It was like a Nebuchadnezzar mental break. And finally his mom in desperation is asked by a friend, you've tried everything but you haven't tried Jesus. She takes him to the church the Anglican church and they pray for him and seven days later his mind comes back. Nine months later he he actually dies of a blood cancer that was stage 4 and he is shocked to find that in this beginning hellish experience who comes in and rescues them is this man in a trim beard with a white robe, bursting of light, brighter than the sun, and he holds out his hands and he sees nail prints. And Swedeek remembers him because he went to see, he got three free movie tickets and one of them was to the Passion of the Christ. and And he went and he recognized this is Jesus. And he comes to as they are burying him. He he had been dead overnight. Now, I I could keep going, but if you think about it, like for Santosh, for Sadiq, for Bibi, they paid a huge price deciding that this God of light and love was Jesus. I mean, Sadiq He had attempts on his life six times so far, and he's still in Rwanda. He's an Anglican priest today. So, you know, you see this all across the globe. And Tony, I believe that what God is doing is in these days, whatever days we're in, but they sure are interesting days, aren't they? Um, He's showing that he's always been the God of all nations, and that what he did through Jesus was so that everyone could simply turn their heart back to him, be forgiven, and be made right with God. And he's, he's giving proof of that. You know, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, from the very beginning, he takes Abraham and Sarah and creates a new nation, the, the, which would be the Jewish nation. And he said, I'm going to bless you so that you will, and you will be a blessing to all the nations, and, you know, that's the story of the entire Bible. It culminates in Revelation chapter five, where John says he sees people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation around the throne of God, praising him. And that's what that's what God is about. That's what he's doing.
0: John, you mentioned something in in one of the, the that last story about um, all of the 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 interviews that you've done, not all of these experiences are good, uh, that there are some, if you will, hellish experiences, because many books that come out are kind of a universalist flow where we're all going to get there, we're all going to get to heaven regardless of what we believe or how our lives are changed or not changed. But in, I, I believe in this book, you interview folks that have had in essence, hellish experiences, Um, and they're not all good experiences, but they came out of those and their lives were changed. Can you talk about that just a little bit more?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that uh, I found interesting, well, let me say this first. It's very important to understand. These experiences are not experiences of eternity. They're not that. And 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 if you think they are th- these people's eternal destination is not decided by their NDEs. In some cases, God lets them see both hell and heaven. Um, and and there's a reason for all that God's doing. But again, I think at the end of the day, it's a testimony to the nations today that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and He is real. And that what he's done through Jesus is for all people, you know. It's it's like Peter realized in Acts chapter ten, right? Um, when he thought God was only for his people, and he sees this vision, and then he goes and Cornelius, who was a God fearer, but Cornelius was a Roman soldier, and 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 he says, "I now realize that God accepts." people from all nations who fear him and do what is right. He said he doesn't play favorites. And I think we have to remember that. He doesn't. And and what he's done through Jesus is so that anybody in their heart can turn back to God and be made right with him. But yes, so many times when someone has a last minute, you know, kind of thief on the cross, cry out to God. Um, I've got another guy who's a Canadian commercial airline pilot who I joke with him. Uh, his name is Jim, and I jokingly say, "I think you beat the thief on the cross for last minute," because <laughs> he he had denied God most of his life, never prayed a prayer, but his wife was a believer and was praying for him. He got Guillaume Barre. Um, it got addicted to opioids and took too many. And as he's sitting there watching the sunset in his truck, he realizes he's dying as his head is hitting the steering wheel. He calls out, Lord, forgive me. And so what I find is at first he sees where he was headed and then God rescues him and shows him what is, what is to come, you know, in heaven. And I find that often, that I think the Lord wants people to know that, you know, he is merciful and he is gracious, but it's important to understand the price it costs. And it's not, it's not because of us. Um, it's because if we keep our hearts hard to God and we say, I don't need you and I don't want you, he gives us what we want, but that's not what we want. We've been fooled. And so, yeah. There are, there, are, there are multiple stories. I mean, um, Santosh saw both hell and the kingdom of God. Swadik was starting to experience a hellish experience when Jesus rescues him. Karina from Colombia is another one in the, in the new book who is dying and, um, you know, for, for lots of reasons, had had a really rough life, um, really rough life and had done a lot of bad stuff. You know, but as she's dying, she starts to pray the Lord's Prayer in Spanish. She grew up Catholic in Colombia. That's what she knew, but it was from her heart. It was like, Father, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And he grabs her and rescues her out of what she knew was she was headed to a hellish experience and grabs her out and brings her into this place. And it was interesting because she sees his light and she can see all these people and they're saying, Come, come. Karina, and she felt unworthy. She she realized all of her life and she said, no, put me back there. That's what I deserve. I'm not worthy of your love. And Jesus said to her, no, you are worthy. Come, come. Because he makes us worthy. It's It's not our works. It's his work on the cross that makes us worthy. And she says, Lord, You've got to show me someone I know, so I'll know it's okay. Someone I know who's died before me. And he said, look to your right. And she looks to her right, and there are her two dogs, one that had just passed away the week before she had her heart attack. And she, she goes in. And anyway, what's so cool about it, Tony, is that he shows her the wonders and the beauty of heaven. And she says to him, before she sees also, the power of God. She finds herself on this, what she calls like this glass, this kind of blue glass sea that was just like endless and fire coming out of it. She's describing another vision of revelation around the throne. Multiple people did. She'd never read the Bible, so she didn't know what she's describing. But the weight of the glory of God is just holding her down. It's a power of God as well. But right before he sends her back, she says, Lord, I want to tell everybody. This is amazing. Can I tell them all about this? And he said, they're not going to believe you, and they're going to make fun of you. And she said, I don't care. I'm going to bring lots back with me, Father. And the last thing he said is, you're awesome. And she said, God talks like this? You're awesome? And see, again, Tony, and that's what I'm trying to show the God who created us all is far more powerful and superior with us everywhere. I mean, we talk about that in the book. He's, he's, uh, he, he, he is imminent in everything, keeping everything going, but he's also transcendent. He's also far greater than the creation, and, and we talk about these attributes of God and how they experience them. And they say things like all these words of sovereign and glorious and almighty and po- all powerful. You know, you hear them say, I understood what those words are trying to convey. But what they're trying to convey is so much greater than our minds can imagine. And so you start to see that, yes, you know, all these things are true. But they're, they also fit into a bigger picture of, like I said, God's great love story and how he wants us to know him and walk with him like he, like he, told, uh, like he told Santosh, you know, in this honest relationship. And we can be honest with him because he gets us. But, but, but he, he also understands how we can live this life to the full in his joy.
0: I, I want to wrap up uh, with this uh, some of these statements that you make in your book, or or points about your book, and it's that God wants us far more than we can even imagine. And many times the misconceptions that we have about God as he's he's always mean, he's always harsh, he's always angry with us. But I think this this is this is part of your book. It's God wants us far more than we can even imagine. Can you speak about that just just a little bit?
1: Yeah, and and he is so relatable. You know, Hebrews 2 and 4 tell us that that God came in the form of Jesus to show us. He experienced all our sufferings, all our pain, and we can go to him because he understands. And when you hear through the eyes of these people, like Heidi, this 16-year-old girl who dies when her horse falls on her and crushes her, and and this is a fascinating story, Tony, because her dad, uh, she grew up in a Jewish atheist agnostic family. Her dad's mantra was, there is no God, your life is worthless, Jesus Christ is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated in, on mankind. And yet she always believed in God. She was also in a very abusive home. So she prayed to God every night and felt like God was there comforting her, this God of love. Well, when she dies, when she's 16, she's up in the air, 30 feet in the air, looking down on the accident. She knows she's dead. There's light comes from behind, and she turns and looks, and there's Jesus. And she knows he's Jesus, shining brighter than the sun, but he looks like Jesus. And she says, I know you, because she instantly knew this is the God I've been praying to. And in fact, in her life review, he shows her he shows her herself as a child at praying at night as a little 8-year-old child and she sees that it was jesus sitting by her bed comforting her now some people may say well well she didn't she didn't pray the name of jesus well she believes in him now and maybe she didn't fully understand it but she was seeking God with all her heart, and remember, God said, "If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me," and she has fully. And and so, what we see though is that you know Jesus is sitting there with with Heidi, with this sixteen year old girl, and they're watching her life review, and they're watching some of the scenes of the life review, and they're laughing together. Like like one scene was when she was a baby in the in the crib. And another little baby gets put in the crib with her and takes her rattle and whacks her on the nose. And she's indignant, um, but she wasn't really hurt. But she said, you know, I started crying as a baby, but Jesus and I broke out laughing because we knew that it was just funny. And it's it's surprising to people, but many, uh, and I have many in Imagine the God of Heaven who show that God has humor. He has a sense of humor. We were created in His image; He's not created in ours. That means all the good things in this life, all the things we enjoy, all the excitement and adventure of life, all the love of life—it's all because He created us for those good gifts, right? He takes Heidi's hand, then, and they take off flying faster than you can imagine. And she said it was like it was like super—it was like Superman and Lois Lane holding hands. And just flying, and I kept looking at him, and he has the biggest grin on his face. And he said to her, isn't this the funnest thing you've ever done? And that may sound blasphemous, like, no, God's not like that. Well, maybe you've got God in a little tiny box, and that's why you don't trust him fully. He's far greater than you've ever imagined, and that's what you see through the eyes of these people. But he's also far more personal than you've ever imagined. Dean Braxton another guy in there and 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 Randy uh and um and Jim too they said in in Jesus presence he said I looked into Dean said I looked into Jesus eyes and into his eyes I could see a love for me that felt like I was the only one he loved and he said and and it, and and every time I looked into his eyes The love was growing. He said, I didn't know God's love for me is growing more and more all the time. And he said, I thought about someone else. I thought about my wife and I realized, well, he loves her as if she's the only one. And that's the kind of love God has for you, for every one of us. And if we don't understand that, then we don't really understand how great God is, that he can be with every one of us and every little thing we do matters to him, and he wants to help us through this life, but also help us experience his joy. You know, this is, enough, this is one of the last things in the last chapter. Joy, if you, if you have given your heart to God through Christ, joy is your birthright. You know, Habakkuk in Habakkuk 3 says, even though the, the, you know, the vines rot and die and the cattle are dying and basically the stock market's crashing and I lost my job and my husband or wife left me, no matter, all the bad things you can happen. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will have joy in, in God, my Savior. And what that means is that there is a joy that comes from God that we can have no matter what. And, and I talk about that. And when you, when you hear in their presence, like, like Jim Woodford, this commercial airline pilot who loved horses and um, in heaven, God shows him horses. And then he, and he's a commercial airline pilot. God takes him up above the holy city and, and shows him just like he showed Santosh, but also like he showed another commercial airline pilot that I interviewed, Captain Dale Black. He shows him this aerial view of the city as if he were flying into it. Only God knows. You know, to several of them, he even quoted Psalm 37.4. I give you the, the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust in him and he will, he will do it. And so You know, what I love to show is that there is a, there is a joy in walking with God that no circumstance of life can take away, but you have to learn how to walk with God in that way. And that's the whole last section is doing life with this, this God of joy.
0: John, in in conclusion, and I know that there are folks probably listening on a podcast or they're watching uh, the video interview itself. And, and they're, they're saying, I, I, I hear about this the, this, the one who created me, who loves me with so much love, who wants that relationship with me. And they're asking, well, I, I realize I, I've done too many wrong things in my life. I'm a sinner. What do I have to do to rectify the situation? I want to I wanna have the relationship with this, this Christ, with this Jesus who gave himself for me. But what type of works do I have to do? How, how do I receive him? Can you give a, a, an answer to that question?
1: Yeah. And, and if you read the Imagine the God of Heaven, you're going to see it again and again. Um, I have a whole chapter uh, on God God's compassion and mercy. And the reality is you don't have to do anything except open your heart to him. That God loves you like a father, a mother, your best friend, even your spouse or, or a lover. I mean, he uses every metaphor in the Bible. That's how he feels about you. And so what, what Jesus, what God sent Jesus to do. And in the, in the book, I talk about how he forecasted that in history. And there's proof. These, the people, these Indie ears, the the God they're seeing, he's already, he's already given us proof of who he is. And he gave us proof of what he would do through Jesus to pay for our wrongs so that all you have to do is tell him, God, I I want your love. I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want your forgiveness and leadership. Come lead me. And and, and that's all it takes. It's a simple prayer of the heart. And that's why you'll see people in, uh, imagine the God of heaven, who at the very last minute, they cry out to him and he rescues them because he's a good parent. He will not And this is the other thing I talk about in Imagine the God of Heaven. His motive is love. Love cannot be forced. It can't be bought. It can't be coerced or manipulated. So he's giving you a free will. And if you don't want him, he's not going to force himself on you. But all he needs is a heart turning back to him in love saying, I want what you did to count for me. I want your love. I want relationship. And you've got it. And you may say, well, you know, you know that's that's like that's easy cop out no because the whole problem with our with life and this is what we also see through this the whole problem with this life is that we are separated from the one who created us to do life with him so without the one who created us for himself we keep getting it wrong and we keep trying to get from each other what we can only get from god so we manipulate and force and coerce one another And so he's undoing that by first getting the first thing right. Love, loving relationship with God so we can be guided then to truly love one another as he loves us.
0: Thank you for that, John. Now, John's new book, Imagine the God of Heaven, Near Death Experiences, God's Revelation and the love that you've always wanted. And I believe, John, this comes out November 7. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. And um, I think you know, right around there. Um, if you get it, I think, I think, uh, they're also going to be offering uh free audiobook access and several other things. So, um, hope you'll get it and, and, uh, and, and share it because I truly believe that many people are going to fall in love with God, maybe for the first time, hopefully, um, but more and more deeply trusting him fully.
0: And you can certainly go to John's website, imagineheaven.net. Again, imagineheaven.net. John, anything you want to add that you're you're working on that you want to project into the future besides this book? Or, or are you just focused uh, single-mindedly on this book right now?
1: Well, that's yeah, that's the main thing right now. There's gonna be there's gonna be more. I'm actually um you know, we're working on a a, a, fo- a devotional follow up to this. There's going to be um, video curriculum. In fact, I think if you if you get it right around November seventh, um, you can see uh, some of those video interviews I did with the people. So meet some of the people in the book. Um, we've got a whole video curriculum with that. Um, yeah, so other things are around it to support it. I'll tell you, my main my main motivation is that. I really am praying that people all over the world will see how good God is and what he has done throughout history. And he's proven it throughout history that he is the God of all nations and he wants all his children home with him. And that's my prayer. My prayer is I'm going to meet many people all over the globe. And, you know, we're going to have a big celebration one day in life uh, together because of it.
0: (laughs) Very, very encouraging words, very encouraging book. And I I encourage you to uh, place an order for the book. Uh, Go to John's website, imagineheaven.net. John, I'm going to ask you to hang on maybe 30 seconds post interview, but I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking about your new book today.
1: Well, thanks so much. It's great talking to you again, Tony.
0: Absolutely. Same here. And until next time.